Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. As always, very excited to start things off here in just a moment uh, with the Coach's Corner panel and I'll introduce the guys here in just a minute. Uh, but a couple of quick announcements. Um, one of the gentlemen that was going to be joining in on the panel tonight, Peter Egazarian, is not going to be able to join us. He was running into some technical issues with his phone, so uh, he's not going to be able to call in. So it'll be uh, John Decker and Pete Buchanan on the panel. Uh, also, uh, I wanted to mention a, a, a quick note as well. Uh, the previous week's show, of course, I canceled. Um, and I just want to explain a little bit about that. There were some technical issues with the archiving, uh, with the network that I uh, provider that I use, and uh, they were having some serious issues at the time for about three or four days. And uh, so I decided to make a call, if you will, of not to air the show. So um, there was no show last week. I canceled the show, as I mentioned, uh, but everything is back in order. So for, for whatever reason, if there was a previous broadcast that uh, you wanted to listen to and weren't able to because of the issue, uh, you can certainly go back now to the on-demand section. So go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. Uh, and any of the previous aired shows are all there in their entirety, except for, like I said, there was not one last week. And also on the Women of Golf show, uh, which primarily was one of the uh, areas that was affected. Uh, if you go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf uh, and into the on-demand section, all of the broadcasts there, uh, if you happen to miss, uh, including this week, uh, you can go back in and listen to them in, in their entirety when you have a chance. I'm going to introduce the panel in, in a little bit, and then a little bit later on in the show, uh, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Angelica Napol- uh, Napolitano, uh, a.k.a. the Golf Doc, She'll be joining me a little bit later on in the broadcast. Uh, but also let me remind everybody, too, um, the Coach's Corner panel is sponsored uh, by a great organization, GolfSwing.com. They'll be sponsoring the Coach's Corner panel uh, this uh, season, uh, again, this, this year on Golf Talk Live. And let me tell you a little bit about them. Uh, GolfSwing.com, with its cutting-edge technology, has teamed up alongside some of the best instructors, uh, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Together, they have created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. In addition to sponsoring the Coach's Corner segment uh, each week, I will post a different golf instructional video tip uh, through my social media platforms. Uh, I missed, again, last week because, uh, again, I didn't end up having a program, so I will make sure I get one out this week as well. Uh, so join today and watch, practice, and improve your game. Go to golfswing.com after the show and check out their great online video platform. All right, I've got two great guys uh, on the Coach's Corner panel. First up, of course, is John Decker. Both of them have been on actually many, many times over the last several years. Um, John Decker, of course, is a teacher professional at the New Albany Country Club and instructor with golfswing.com. Back in 2015, he was named the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year, and uh, also he was the prior head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando. 
where he worked under top 100 instructors, uh, Fred Griffin, and of course, the late Phil Rogers. Uh, he's also authored the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which of course is an accompanying Bible study, and he's also a great motivational speaker. Also joining out the panel is Pete Buchanan, another good friend of mine. Uh, he's the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which of course houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Uh, Pete has been teaching for well over 30 years now in the golf industry and is considered a pioneer in keeping it simple uh, out in the golf course. So, guys, uh, welcome to the Coach's Corner panel. Thank you, Dad. All right, I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to start off a little if you will, and we're going to talk about, uh, because it is early in the season, now, I know we've talked about this area, but we're going to get a little bit more in-depth about it. We've talked about, really, the importance of a pre-shot routine. So a lot of these golfers out there that are, you know, getting ready to um, sort of get the dust off their, their shoes and, and clubs and head out to the uh, golf course or the driving range or even their indoor facility, for some of you still up in the Northeast, where it's not quite warm enough to get outside. Um, for those of you that want to get uh, an early jump on your game, uh, now's the time to do it. And here are some great tips that these guys are going to talk about and expand a little bit about. And one of them, of course, is the pre-shot routine. So, um, John, I'm going to start with you here. And I'm going to read out something very quick. And then I just want you to sort of cover uh, a little bit about um, this area. And you'll understand in a second. There's actually really five steps that I consider to be um, very important as part of the pre-shot routine. The first step is the decisions. So before you hit any uh, good shot, there is always several decisions that various different elements to take into account. Uh, some of the factors that we're going to take into account might be, as an example, wind, uh, flag position, and even the grain on the green. John, talk about a little bit about really what a golfer, when they're stepping up to that first tee, as an example, some things that might be running through their mind um, as they get prepared to, to execute their pre-shot routine before they actually even hit the shot. That, that's a great uh, a great question. I love talking about the pre-shot routine. I want to thank you, Ted, for having me on the show. And, Pete, I'm looking forward to being on with you as well. Um, one of the things that I really uh, try to emphasize to my students is when you're on the driving range, and I hope that everyone is warming up before they go to the first hole, is I, maybe your last four or five swings, uh, you want to actually emulate the shot that you're going to hit. So assuming you're starting on the first hole, you may be starting on the 10th hole, or you might be, uh, sometimes you might be doing a shotgun start, you might be starting on a par 3 or, or, or a par 5 or something like that. But what you want to do is you want to try to uh, pretend on the driving range that you're actually hitting your shot. So you want to rehearse it actually hitting the shot that you would hit, would want to play. So for example, if it's a if it's a dogleg right and, and you play a fade, you might pretend, you know, and draw that imaginary uh, hole in your mind and actually make some swings. And then when you get to the first hole, obviously I think everyone, uh, especially in competitive golf, but everyone has a little bit of anxiety and nerves on the first hole. And so um, it's important to get your breathing right. It's important uh, that you uh, get to the first hole in time, not to, you don't want to show up uh, obviously uh, 20 minutes before your tee time, uh, but you, you want to be there in time. You don't want to be rushing. You want to make sure and you have your balls and your tees and all that, inf you know, all that stuff uh, in your pocket so that you're not scrambling around uh, anxiously. A lot of times I see people, they get up to the first tee and they don't even have a golf ball in their hand. 
So, you know, it's important that you be up there ready to go. And then the main thing that I, I try to do is, you know, I try to figure out what side of the tee box I'm going to tee up on, and I make sure I have a target. I make sure on every shot I have a target. And, and uh, I think that's something that's very important. Again, you mentioned the wind. Uh, obviously, you might be on the driving range and the wind – might be blowing in one direction, but then when you get to the first hole, it might be blowing in a completely different direction than what you were used to on the driving range. So it's important that you pay attention to the wind as well. And then uh, from there, you just go ahead and try to go through your routine uh, step by step where you see the shot, you feel it, you execute it, and then you trust all the above. Right. Um, And some, some great points, Pete, I want to, I want to talk a little bit. John just actually mentioned it a little bit, but I want to get into to a little bit more um, specifics. Um, and, and like I said, there's five different steps, and we're going to go through each of them a, a little bit. And, and, I, and again, John, I know you touched uh, briefly on a little bit, but we're going to talk a little bit more. Um, step number two is actually the feel. Making a small practice swing of some description is always, you know, a good idea to give you some sort of feel of what you're about to do. Um, and again, it's not, it doesn't need to be a very strict practice swing. In other words, you don't have to necessarily uh, be swinging at 100%. It might be um, 50% to start with, and it might even get up to you know, 60, 70, maybe 80% of your swing. So how important is it really to, to sort of get that feel established um, when you're getting up there again to that first tee as part of your pre-shot routine? Well, again, Ted, thanks for having me on. And, John, again, uh, looking forward to to chatting with you throughout the show. You know, to me, I always try to get all of my players to get something in a a little bit of a quote-unquote waggle or start that that gives them a start to what their swing is supposed to do. And so just a little reminder, and they can use that as a reminder to get the club moving in the proper direction. We sit on the tee box and we talk about it. And, and I, I try to get them to, to visualize what they feel the start of their swing should be and then incorporate a little bit of a, a start to that so that when they're out on the golf course, they can use that to help them relax and, and keep them moving before they hit shots. I think it's real important that, you know, before they, they actually pull the trigger that, you know, they, they keep moving and keep relaxed and give them a little bit of something to feel, a little something of direction of where the club's going to go so that they don't stand there and, you know, sometimes you'll watch somebody get set up over it and, um, you know, you're, you're waiting for them to fall asleep. They've stood there so long and nothing's moving, nothing's happening. And, you know, all they're doing is getting more tense by the minute. And you could probably go over there and push them over because they're, you know, they're just like concrete. But, you know, I always tell them to also, you know, watch the TV, watch the tour players, watch what they do. I mean, you see so many of them, you know, they'll take a little bit of a rehearsal and, and they do the same thing over and over again. And so I try to get them to to understand a little bit of a start, a little bit of something that can get them into a position that will help them, you know, relax and keep moving, but also do the same thing over and over again. So it becomes the same on every shot to help them settle in, get more relaxed as they're out there. Right. Well said. Um, John, I'm going to come back to you. And, and again, I know you, you touched on some of these points, but I want to get into a little bit more specific. And I want to specifically talk about visualizing, which is step three. Um, we want to visualize that shot. So talk about, you know, you're coming up and you, you've assessed the hole. You've seen whether it's a dog leg, whether it's a straight uh, hole, short, long, whatever the case may be. Now you're ready to visualize the shot that you need. So talk, walk us through that step. 
Well, that's uh, it's interesting because every time I, I get this question, I always think about an interview that I heard with Tiger Woods. And Tiger Woods' uh, father took him to a sports a guy who was a who was working for I believe it was the Army, uh, and he trained uh, the the Green Berets, and um, and he was a, a, basically a sports psychologist, and he he was talking to Tiger about visualizing the shot, and Tiger said he said he said I I don't I can't see the shot I have to feel it, and um, I thought that was really interesting because Tiger said that they kind of came to an agreement that because he was more of a field player that he would rehearse the swing. And that's why a lot of times when you see Tiger on the tee box, he's making very slow rehearsal swings. So in, in his mind, he is visualizing the shot by feeling it. Now, some people are very, uh, you know, they, they see lines. They're, they're very meticulous. And they're going to be very, like a Nick Valda would be somebody like that, very meticulous where Bubba Watson or, you know, or Tiger would be more feel in, their, in, in trying to shape their swing with a particular tee shot, for example. So, but it's important that if you're going to visualize the shot is that you have to visualize a shot that's going to give you the maximum room for your ball to land. In other words, I, you know, trying to cut corners and flying it straight over bunkers and carrying bunkers for the average golfer I think is going to lead to a lot of problems. So it's important that you give yourself a target that where you have some generous room on both sides. So if you tend to push it or you tend to pull it, you have some room. Uh, and then from there, it's always important that you stand behind the ball to do this. Uh, it's very difficult to visualize if you're standing beside the ball, but if you stand behind the ball, it gives you a much better perspective. Uh, and I like to try to stand about a good three three to four yards behind the ball. So I really have a good perspective of, of where my target's going to be. And then, then the trajectory, especially with my irons, um, if I'm hitting and I'm in the winds in my face and I want to lower the trajectory of my shot, I visualize, okay, I, I see, you know, what trajectory, but then I try to make some practice swings where I can, where I can feel very much what Pete was just saying, where I feel the swing because I know what a low shot and a high shot feels like. And so I tell myself I want to hit a lower shot, I want to hit a higher shot, and then I just go ahead and execute it from there. Well said, John. Um, you know, you're exactly right. You know, it's so important, I think, for a lot of our uh, golfers, whether it be club golfers or our weekend warriors, if you will, um, to really have that visualization on every shot. And, and that's important to incorporate that into your pre-shot routine because there, there's no point in standing up, you know, over the ball and you're thinking about 20,000 different things about the golf swing, but you're not actually visualizing what you want the ball to do or where you want the ball to go. And a lot of golfers don't bother because they've got too many others described it there. Thank you. Um, Pete, back to you, number four. Um, now that we've seen the shot in our head and we're ready to commit now, uh, obviously we want to commit to the trigger and, and we want to actually execute the shot. And because, you know, Pete, and this falls into your wheelhouse here, uh, we're starting from a, a stationary position. Um, it's always recommended uh, a lot of the top professionals. I remember Nicholas always talking about having some sort of a small trigger uh, to sort of begin that uh, that movement, if you will. Talk a little bit about that. Once we've got everything, you know, the feel, we've, we've got the, the idea of what the shot, the visualizing the shot, now we're ready to execute. What do we need to do at this point? Well, more than anything else, you, you need to go. You know, I want them to, you know, once they've, they've, they've got a feel, they know what they're going to do, 
and, and they're positioning themselves up to the ball, then just go. I mean, don't hesitate. Don't stand there too long. You know, get after it. You know, I've always said the longer you stand there, you know, the, the more you just delay the agony. So just get it over with. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's more of, of just giving them the chance to, to get themselves set. And then once you have the picture, go. There's no reason to, to stand there. And, you know, a little bit as you're talking about that, and with that picture, I think I want to back up just a little bit. I, I think one of the questions I always have my players ask is, I want you to visualize the shot, but then ask yourself, can you actually do it? I mean, sometimes they like to picture shots that they've never done before, and it's going to be hard to pull that off. So make sure it's something you can do, and then once you once you visualize it and you know you can do it and you've got yourself set up, then just go. Don't wait too long. And if you need something that's going to be a little bit of a trigger, you know, we watched Nicholas for years, you know, he'd turn his head and then off he went. And so, you know, right. it's something that uh, I notice when they're practicing and, and I put them through routines and when they're playing, if I notice they're taking too long, once they get set over, it, I'll start to work in something there and say, Hey, you know, here's what you might want to try. Um, you know, move this, uh, make a little bit of a turn, um, you know, something that they can do to get them started. But I think, just more importantly for me, I want them just to go. I don't want them to stand there too long. You know, once you've made that decision, you know, take off with it and go. And then, uh, you know, I, I think for that, it's going to help them a little bit uh, overall to stay more at ease and uh, just just keep tension out of it when they're when they're set up over it. So once they get that uh, they get that visualization and, and they know they can do it, just go hit it. Yeah, uh, and some great advice uh, as well. Um, step number five, of course, we've now hit the shot. Uh, the ball's left the club face. How we react, uh, John, is crucial at this point because your reaction can be a key part of the next pre-shot routine. Um, as an example, if we hit a bad shot, a negative overreaction can all, often cost you when it comes to the next shot. So if we've hit a poor tee shot, maybe we've pushed it into the woods a little bit or into the, the rough, the thick rough, you know, we're dragging that with us. Talk a little bit about that, how we react to those good and bad shots. Well, this is, um, I, this is the, 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 I think the one thing that really separates the men from the boys I see from, from the ones that really, really uh, make it um, as players and the, and the ones that, that kind of fizzle out and that is your attitude on the golf course because it's it can be difficult at times. We've all been there. You get off to a rough start. You're going to be able to hang in there. Um, you know, you never want one shot, one bad shot, to affect your next one because now it's affecting two shots. So if you can learn, um, you know, learn. And, and I've I'll be the first to tell someone if you're going to get upset. You know, give yourself about five or ten seconds. Don't make it, you know, don't throw clubs or do anything that's going to get you kicked off the golf course or hurt someone. But 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 get it out and then go, and then go from there. And that's one of the things that I would suggest um, if you're riding in carts. Sometimes it's good to just walk. You know, tell your partner, you know what, go ahead and drive. I'm going to walk this one. Um, that's a good way to burn yeah. off the adrenaline. I, that's one of the reasons why I, I enjoy walking on a golf course more than riding in carts because – if I hit a really bad shot, it gives me time to walk it off and, and work through it. But the other thing, the flip side of that is, is if I hit a really good shot, I don't want to just rush up there and hit my next one. I want to, because sometimes the, the adrenaline of hitting that really good shot gets you excited 
and and you you get you you get out of the moment. You want to be able to stay in the moment. So, you know, uh, like I, when I'm speaking, I always you know tell people that you know yesterday was is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. So yesterday is your your last shot, and tomorrow is your next shot. Uh, today is a, a gift from God, and that's why we call it the present. The best players in the world stay in the present moment at all times. And if you can learn to do that, you will you will play your best golf of your life for this year. If you can learn to stay in the present moment on all your shots, and it is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, it, it's definitely not easy. And, and you know, this is why having a, a, a pre-shot routine is is really critical and i want to point something out too because you know we've covered the five steps here and it sounds like a lot of information and people are sitting there well you know we're we're trying to be mindful of slow play and things like that although there's five steps that are crucial in having a successful uh pre-shot routine this really takes place in a matter of seconds so once the decision has been made as to what club and shot you are about to play the remainder should only be a maximum of 10 to 20 seconds. Incorporating a routine into both your plan time is significantly going to change your ability to score on the golf course. So, uh, you know, you don't want to be taking, you know, 10 minutes over each shot. It should be a matter of seconds. But the idea is once you train yourself, and I think you both would agree with this, once you train yourself to take each of these steps, um, and incorporate it into that pre-shoot, pre-shot routine. Excuse me. Um, over time, you'll learn it'll become second nature, and you won't even have to think about it. It's just a matter of you step up and you go through that routine. And that is why it's important when you're up on the practice team. That's what we're going to talk about next, Pete. I'm going to jump to you. Is your range warm-up? So you've, you know, whether it's a, a full-blown practice session or whether you've come, you know, 15, 20 minutes before your round. Uh, you want to warm up, and this is where you sort of put the fine tuning, if you will, on that. Let's talk about that, Pete. Let's use this example first. Let's take out of the equation a full practice session. We're just warming up on the range before a round. What are some key um, tips that you would like to give the listeners out there on how to best prepare for today's round? Well, what I like them to do is, is like any other sport you see. You know, if you look at, you know, NFL, Major League Baseball, any of any of those things, they're always spending some time warming up. And what I want them to warm up is what they're going to be using. And a lot of times I'll say, just start with a wedge. You know some of the, the key things you need to do in your swing. So let's start off really slow, really small. Put them out there, you know, 25, 30, 40 yards, and just get yourself into a little bit of a rhythm, hitting some really simple, easy shots, and just get yourself moving and warm up the things that you're going to need to do uh, in order to play your round. Start off that way. And I know for me, when, when I start off hitting some wedges, if, if they're going pretty good, then I've got a pretty good sign of what's going to be happening. But also, too, I let them know that, you know, you want to warm up these little short shots because you're going to have them. And so you want to be prepared for them. Um, you know, the amateurs have way more shots inside of 40 yards uh, in, in a pitching chipping type situation that a lot of the pros do and so they need to to warm those up and I think it's a great way to get started and then just pick a few clubs you know picturing the rounds you're going to play and if you know a little bit about the golf course you know pull out a a a club you know you're going to use grab a target you know hit a few of those and then the last thing I always like to have them do when they're warming up is pull that driver out and it's for two reasons one 
you know, to hit a few that, that you can get that drive going. And secondly, just to see if you can use it. So if, if you're, uh, if you're hitting it mm-hmm. a mile off line off the driving range, you might want to go with something else off that first tee. Cause now you're going to be a little bit more right. nervous. So you might want to put a little bit more loft in your hands so you can put that down the fairway. Right. And so, you know, it's just giving yourself a chance to, to prepare yourself for going to play golf. And the last thing I would say is don't just drive by the putting green. Get a few of those before you start. I know some of them like to hit 50 drives for the pleasure of four or drive right past the putting green and, and they don't, they can't figure out why they can't putt. You know, so stop yeah. at the green too. And, give yourself and some that's, time to that's, hit a few putts. Yeah, that's some great advice because that, that's something that we see far too often is a lot of players spending, you know, they're, they're more worried. And this is really the thing that always is a little bit of an ironic uh, or irony, if you will, about our club golfers is, you know, they, they're more worried about that first tee shot than they are the rest of the round. They want to make sure that when they're hitting that first tee shot, John, um, you know, it, it's, it's got to be, you know, number one. They want to get it dead out in the middle of the fairway or maybe with a slight fade or draw, whatever the, you know, uh, shot shape that they, they particularly favor. Uh, and they forget about on the putting uh, surface, which accounts for a good 50% or more of the shots in a round. So they wonder why they're not breaking 100. Well, that's part of the reason. So let's talk about the first tee jitters. You know, that's a good place to start. Everybody has them. Even the pros will admit that they're a little bit nervous when they get on the first tee. Um, let's talk about that. What are some good tips that you can give uh, some of the golfers out there that are tuning in tonight uh, about how to sort of get over the first tee jitters? Well, the first thing, Ted, and we've already talked about is the pre-shot routine. I mean, that is that that is to that's kind of like Linus and his his blanket. You know, that's something that you you hold dearly uh, to you, and you you use that pre-shot routine all the way through through the uh, 18 holes. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, that's the one thing. There's not a tour player that's out there that doesn't have a pre-shot routine. They all have pre-shot routines. Some are different. Some are longer. And I would agree, you don't want to take too much time. Um, the, the other thing that I try to tell the, the students, especially when I was working at golf schools, a lot of times the people would be playing with people they didn't know and they were nervous about that, is I, I would tell them, listen, everybody's, everybody's nervous, first of all. And second of all, no mm-hmm. one really cares about your game. They care about their game. Just like you don't care about theirs, you're not sitting there going – thinking, you know, if we were playing, I wouldn't be saying, I wonder what Ted's going to do on the first hole. I would be thinking about what what am I doing on the first hole. So get, the, right. you know, focus on, don't, no one's judging you. And, you know, and I and I also tell a lot of my students that uh, I've had the first hole, I've bogeyed the first hole before and played great and broken 70. And I've also birdied the first hole and, and shot in the 80s. So, just because you hit a great tee shot doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate to a great day. Um, you don't want to judge your rounds on one shot. If you put all that emphasis on one shot, my gosh, that puts way too much pressure on your game. You want to, I, I heard Raymond Floyd say this in an interview one time. He said, you want to ease yourself into the round. Like Pete was saying, you don't want to necessarily hit driver off the first hole. Hit a three-wood or hit a hybrid. Get yourself in play. You know, just get yourself out there. Don't take unnecessary risk on the first hole. Don't try to if it's a if it's a uh, if there's water or if there's bunkers out there, 
uh, take those out of play, and you can learn to take those out of play with course management. Talk to your pro. You know, how's a great way for me to take those fairway bunkers or that creek or whatever it is out of play? And have a strategy so you're thinking more about your strategy than you are about your golf swing and about everybody watching you and the nerves. So those are some little mind games that you can play. A lot of it is strategy, and a lot of times in tournaments, if I was nervous, I just pulled my three-wood out because I knew I had more loft. I knew loft is your friend. I mean, the more loft I have in my hand, the better, the straighter I'm going to hit the shot. So that's the, that's a, a, a great way to get yourself, you know, off on the first hole. Yeah, that's some great, great uh, advice, John, as well. And, you know, the, the thing to remember, too, guys, is, and I think a lot of people forget this, your pre-shot routine, again, visualizing that shot, you want to take a look at the landscape of the first, the first tee, the first hole, if you will. And if it's a very wide open, very forgiving fairway, then it's probably okay to, to pull out your driver, even if you're not hitting at your best. If you've got a lot of room for error, it's okay. But if you walk, if, you're, if your course uh, tends to be typically very tight fairways and you walk up to number one and it's real tight and you're not hitting your driver, you know, uh, 100%, then that's probably not the best club. So club selection is very, very important. And I like what both of you said, um, you know, really sort of easing into the round a little bit. Um, everybody's sort of quick. They want to bomb it out there and, and sort of show off, especially if they're hitting it well. And that's fine if you uh, are, are, you know, very solid with that, uh, with that driver. But if you're not and you're playing on a course that's not as forgiving as, as maybe another one, um, you know, then it is probably a smarter play to ease back and hit a three wood or even, uh, even a five wood or something, uh, or a good hybrid club just to get it in position. And then, you know, when the holes, as they progress, when they get a little bit more forgiving and, and if you're not hitting your driver the best that particular day, you know, you might want to take a chance as long as you don't have a lot of trouble out there. So it really depends. And, and John, as you pointed out, this is where course management comes into, uh, play. It's very, understand and especially if you're playing a course that you play quite frequently you should know where the trouble lies um, pretty much uh, like the back of your hand so if you're still making the same mistakes every round then you need to sort of analyze what it is that you're doing wrong or what have you been doing it's not just a matter of hitting a, a solid or, or not solid shot it's maybe your strategy is not the best and that's why you're, you're not succeeding on the, the golf course. Um, which brings me to another thought here, um, Pete, and that is, you know, we all have some bad holes, maybe a bad hole or two, recovering from that. That's something that a lot of people, you know, uh, even a, a bad round, you know, last season maybe they, they didn't finish very strong, and they're carrying that through the winter months, now they're getting ready to come back out, and that's what's sort of creeping in your mind. Some good thoughts uh, and, and things that you can think of that, will help some of our club golfers out there that maybe have had some bad holes or two, or maybe they've, you know, been able to get out there a little bit in, in some of the areas of the United States here where it is a little bit warmer and they've played a little bit of golf and they've had a few bad, you know, a hole or two. What are some good things that they can do uh, to overcome that and to recover from it? Well, I think first of all, you know, I try to make sure that they understand that, you know, just you can never give up. Um, it's real easy to, I mean, you get a bad tee shot and you think, oh, great, there goes this hole. But, you know, if, if you're playing a, a, a par four, uh, the most important shot is the fourth one. If it doesn't go in, now it's a five. So don't put so much pressure on that first one, as John was saying. But I think if, if you can just understand that, you know, one or two shots in a round is not going to change the whole deal, 
um, you might hit one or two or three bad shots, but you also might make three or four, five long putts, and you've made up for it. So there's always a counterbalance in there if you allow yourself the opportunity to take advantage of it. I think so many times that they get so down that uh, there's no way they can recover because they can't see it. And, and the more frustrated you get on the golf course, the harder it is to see how to get back out of it. And so I think you need to keep it very positive. Just understand that, you know, bad shots are going to happen. You know, I was talking to some players that are going to play in a tournament right now, and I said, look, I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be four bad swings on the golf course minimum, and you're going to hit four pretty squirrely shots. But I said, you're also going to hit a bunch of good ones. So don't let those four mm-hmm. get you down, you know, because you can recover right. from those four. And you're going to make a whole bunch of other things. But if you let those four get you down, now there's going to be eight, and then there's going to be nine, then ten. And so there's going to be some shots that you're going to hit that aren't going to be very good. It happens. It happens to all of us. You know, you watch some tour players, they drive it down the fairway four holes in a row, and they hit one 80 yards offline. It happens. But then you look on the scoreboard, and they made a par. So you you can never give up. You always have to remember that, you know, how many times have you seen somebody that hit three really bad shots and then they blade a chip and it hits the pin and goes in? They still write down a four. You know, even though it wasn't the prettiest of fours, it's still a four. So, you know, <laughs> right. don't give up. You know, continue to, to play and, and don't let those shots get you down because I think, um, you know, I've always said that the devil's in the details. And if you, and if you, get the, if you keep those details in there, you're going to have a hard time getting out of it. Yeah, and that's that, that's a great point as well, Pete. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of players on, you know, kind of get in this funk, if you will, um, you know, after a couple of bad holes. And I think it goes back to a point that you talked about a little bit earlier, or Pete did, I guess. Um, you know, driving past that that putting green, you know, during your warm up session. You know, you're out there and you're hitting your drives. Um, the short game can can save a multitude of sins out of the golf course. Johnny, I think you would agree with that. Of course. Um, yeah. You know, we we get there and, uh, you know, we hit some poor tee shots or maybe even our, our approach shot isn't that, that stellar. But it's amazing how some good chipping or maybe even pitching uh, and certainly good putting can can come together and, and maybe save a salvage a par or even in some cases even a birdie. Um, so, Let's talk a little bit about that. Why Why is it, you know, I mean, I, I know I've mentioned it here, but why is it that we can't seem to get our golfers out there to understand this analogy that it's not what happens off the tee that scores the best round, it's what happens around the green? Explain that. Well, I think a lot of it is ego-driven. I mean, I think a lot of people get wrapped up in how far they hit their drives and how far they hit their, their pitching wedge and, and things like that. I, people tell me, when when I get a teenager that tells me they hit their sand wedge 100 yards, I say, well, I don't hit mine 100 yards, and I don't try to hit it 100 yards. I try to hit it 90 yards. Um, I, I don't get – you know, you, you want to get people out of that mindset – what matters is the score. What that is, golf is measured. You're measured by your score, and that is what what you're mm-hmm. measured by. And so, it's important that you teach people how to finish the hole and how to finish, uh, you know, close the deal, as they say, because it, it does you no good to hit. You know, it drives me crazy to hit two great shots, be on the green, and three putt. I mean, I think to myself, I just went 450 yards in two shots. 
and it took me three shots to go 20 feet. And so, um, you know, I think that teaching students uh, the importance of the short game, I want students, I mean, I would much rather practice the short game than stand on a driving range and hit five irons. I mean, that to me is, is not very, very fun pounding balls. But the short game, you have to, you have, it starts with the way, you know, in the lessons, I think, uh, you know, golf professionals uh, can get caught up in, in, um, in making, trying to have their students make perfect swings. In reality, that's something that will never be obtainable for anyone. Uh, and so golf is a game of misses. You're going to have to know how to manage your misses, and that's course management. And then you have to know how to recover from your misses, and that's the short game. And then we all have to putt. I don't care how well you play, uh, you, you, you can't avoid putting. And so you have to know how to putt. And then teaching students the, the difference between, you know, uh, you know the, how to gauge the speed of the greens and then reading the greens. And, and when students, if they were to really do an honest assessment of their game, they would see that from 150 yards in, that's about 75% of their score. And so if I were to go into your business and say, I'm going to improve, 70, I can improve 75% of your business or I can improve 25% of your business, what do you think a smart businessman is going to do? They're going to go, okay, how can you help my 75%? And so that's what, what I try to emphasize, and it's very difficult for a lot of people to do that because of their ego about, well, I, just, I feel like if I can hit – if I can get an extra 10 yards on my drive, that's going to lower my handicap, and it's just not the case. Yeah, and and you would think – some excellent points, John. You know, you would think that after, Pete, all this time that, you know, golf has been around and all of the, you know, top instructors around the world have talked about this and talked about this and, and you know, hours and hours and hours on the Golf Channel and all these other – media outlets that have talked about the importance of the short game, you would think that people would finally catch on. But John speaks the truth here is it's just not as exciting, you know, for, for the average golfer to be chipping and putting. Very true. Um, and if you watch, you know, a lot of the advertising, they're not advertising, you know, making the four footer. They're advertising the latest driver that hits it, you know, 400 yards, gets your longest drive. And, you know, everything's built off of distance and how far you can, you can bust it off the tee. And so, yeah, it, it, we're a little bit against the, the grain there because, you know, we know the importance of the short game. And we know that that's really where all the scoring comes from. Um, but, you know, they don't see it that way. It's always more fun to you know, drive that ball out there a mile and, um, and, and just to, you know, avoid the, the short stuff and the practicing. You know, I, two things that I've always done with all of my students, you know, I always tell them, you know, you don't have to be over in the short game area to practice your short game. I mean, you can do it right here on the tee box. When I'm having them warm up, they're always hitting little pitch shots. And when we finish, they end up hitting pitch shots and little chip shots. And so I'm always getting them to understand that part of your practice has to be these particular shots that we're going to hit. And I've also developed a scorecard for when they play that tracks every shot they hit by categories. And so they're really going to find out before too long where their trouble actually really is. And it's amazing to them. You'll have somebody come in and play around and say, oh, I played really bad today. You know, it's, it's those tee shots that really killed me. I said, well, you hit every one of your tee shots in play, but inside of 40 yards, you know, you had 42 shots. That's too many. You know, yep. so there's where your game really got away from you. And now they can see it. 
so they can actually really see it. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, I've always said as a culture, I'd love to see more. Uh, it's hard to do, but I'd love to see more advertising on putting, on pitching, on chipping, on short games. Um, it's it's not uh, it's not the glamour, but uh, you know I, I would always love to see more of that uh, portrayed out there. That you know that's really where it comes down to fruition is is those shots around the green. I mean, if you think about every round, you got 14 tee shots. Um, you know, if you if you look at the 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 second shots, you really have you know 18. There's four third shots, so you're at 36. And if you two part every green, there's 36 more. And so there's a there's a big deal in there with all those other shots. So you want to make sure if there's 14 tee shots that you only have 14. You don't want to have 17. That means you three them out of bounds. And so that's really where you right. have to start looking at your scoring and what's going on and, you know, where you can make up ground and not make up ground. So I think putting, you know, I'll have somebody come in and, you know, they had, you know, 26 putts and, and they shot, you know, 10 shots worse than they did the day before. And I said, well, you know, we got to look at it keep that putting going, but there's other, other parts that go with it. So I, you know, it's, it's a tough one, but I always try to make sure that they understand that, you know, the short stuff is so important. And as you said before, I mean, you can hit some squirrely shots and, you know, get it up and down. To me, that's more fun than anything else. You know, you, you hit a bad when you had to recover, then you get it up and down and make a par and go to the next one or or bogey or whatever your, your particular score is relative to your handicap. That to me is, is, is so much more fun. Uh, you know, and instead of that, you know, hitting two shots on the green, three putting, that drives me bananas. But you know, that's just me. But I, you know, I I really yeah. enjoy the ones where you you just hit a squirrely shot and you're able to recover. You know, and it's interesting, guys. You know, as well when you look at you know somebody like Tiger when he was, um, you know, really on top of his game, and and certainly he's playing well now. But when he was really at the height of, of his uh, game a little bit earlier on. If you look at his stats, um, you know, he certainly was not necessarily number one in driving distance. He might have been in the top three, uh, and it sort of rotated because there were others. Bubba Watson, when he came on, of course, I think was out driving Tiger. Uh, But one interesting uh, stat about Tiger Woods is he was not the most accurate off the tee. But leading to your point, uh, Pete, what you were just talking about, and John, you've mentioned as well, is his recovery shots were what really made him. It was not, you know, necessarily, I mean, obviously there is advantages if you're, if you're driving well and getting it further down the fairway, but you have to be able to have good recovery shots. And also, you know, he was a phenomenal putter. I mean, when he got on there, he, you know, when he got over a 10 foot, a 12 foot putt, you almost knew uh, with, with some certainty that the majority of them were going to drop. Um, and if they didn't, they were going to come darn close. And again, that obviously confidence builds up, but that's, that goes back to, you know, what you guys have been talking about. And and that is, you know, it's better sometimes to get yourself in a good position and, and so that you can make some of those good short shots, those pitch shots, those chip shots, whatever the case may be. And obviously some good putting, uh, if you want to reduce scores, if you want to hit the ball really long, if that's all you care about, well then, you know, get into some long drive. Uh, contest or something like that if that's if that's your speed uh, or if that's your style but if you're trying to score better uh, it's not going to make a difference how far you hit the ball if it's not in play so you know whether you hit it 300 yards or 275 or 325 if it's never in play that you know 300 plus yard drive doesn't mount to a hill of beans so 
um, you know, you really have to use some some common sense when you get out on the golf course. Um, final thing, guys, and, and you, you've all both sort of talked about this a little bit in, in some of your analogy. And John, I'm going to come back to you. Um, but post round analysis, you know, we get back into the clubhouse. You know, we have a few, uh, maybe a few cocktails with our buddies and, and things like that, which is great. But it's also a time, and you know, we talk about maybe we had a few good laughs out in the golf course because you know John didn't hit a, a couple of great shots and hit some squirrely drives, or Pete, you know, yeah. topped one into the water or what have you, and and I, you know, just didn't show up, whatever the case may be. But you know, that's a good time when we get away from the course to really evaluate what happened out on the golf course. Talk us through what what do you want your students to really be mindful of? Um, when they do their post-round analysis? Well, I want them to keep stats. I want them to, I want to know, um, I want them to figure out their fairways that they hit, their greens in regulation. Um, I want them to count their putts. I want them to count, the, uh, figure out their up and down percentage, their bunker percentage, uh, and then their penalty shots. Those are the main things I look at. Um, and, and I tell them this is the, – there's two reasons for this. Number one, this is going to educate – and I said – I always tell them you need to do this within an hour or two after your round because it's fresh in your mind. Don't try to do it a week later, you know, when you come in for the lesson. And then when they right. come to me in the lesson, I want them to come to me with that information. Now, this benefits both me as the instructor and it benefits them because what it does is it enlightens them um, to – they go, wow, I didn't realize I had – 42 putts today you know I thought I was a better putter than that and I always say at a bare minimum 36 is you know that's that's our bear that's our bar you know that we're trying to get people to and then we want to just keep lowering that bar and for me when I would play tournament golf my bar was 30 I, I always wanted to try to get under 30 putts. now sometimes I didn't do that Obviously, if I hit more greens in regulation, that number went up. So it's educating your students so that when they come to you, it gives me a much better uh, way of teaching them because I can look at their stats and go, wow, we don't need to work on your full swing. We need to work on your bunker game or whatever the issue may be. So I think it's beneficial to both the student and the teacher. Yeah, I agree. And, and Pete, I know that you do a lot of online in addition to, you know, one-on-one -on -one, uh, teaching and coaching and that with your students um, in person, but you also uh, work with a lot of students uh, literally around the globe uh, through your online coaching programs. And obviously that information, as John just described, is, is even more important to have those statistics because you're not always physically able to be right there with that particular student um, so you've got to have some of that information to, to make some informed decisions on how to help them. So talk about that for, for uh, the benefit of not only the students, but also for coaches that are maybe um, either just getting into that sort of platform or maybe uh, thinking about getting into that platform, the importance of having that information available to you as an online coach. Well, there's no question that information is, is really important and, you know, echoing what John said, it's, it's, it's great that they, they keep stats. And I have, you know, a, a number of things that I, I like for them to keep. And, that, and that's one of the reasons why I designed this scorecard like I did, because, it, you know, all they have to do is fill that scorecard in while they're playing. It's, um, they can take it. It's fillable. They can change it to their golf course to what their pars are. 
and uh, and scores, and then they can fill in as they go. And as soon as they send that to me, I've, I've, I basically have – I can picture how they played because uh, I've got all the information I need from all the different areas that they they uh, are checking uh, as far as the shots they're hitting. But, you know, when you're when you're getting into it um, from, from an online basis, you know, the, the more information you can get from the better it's going to be because, you know, they sort of have to be your eyes, and they have to be able to tell you what's going on. I mean, I can I can look at some swing videos and I can get a pretty good idea from all the years that uh, you know I stood on that line with the Jacob schools and watched swings. I mean, I know what I'm gonna uh, results I'm gonna see, but I always want them to be able to to tell me what's going on because it just helps them to understand as well from a, a ball flight ball flight impact perspective and and what we see and how that produces the shots that they're gonna hit. So. All that information is, is really crucial, and I'm always talking to all of those ones that I have online. I mean, I have them set up in, in uh, some of these spaces that I have, uh, the content spaces, so that I can interact with them a lot, uh, sending them messages, sending them texts, uh, voicemails, um, just a, a little voice uh, recording, just so we can constantly have that information. And, and it's vital because, as John said, it's not only important for them to understand it, but it's really, really cool for us because then we can see what's going on with their game, and then we can pinpoint the practice and begin to move their practices to help them in the areas that they need the most help in and the ones that are keeping them from scoring like they should be because, you know, and John mentioned it before, that's the ultimate deal. What do you shoot? What's your score? When you get done playing around, they say, what would you shoot? You know, they said, you know, how far did you hit it on 16? You know, what was your score? I mean, that's really what it's all about. Right. And so it's giving right. them – getting them to understand their own game and, and having them begin to track their game, I think is really, really crucial so that they can get a better understanding of what they're doing. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a great point. You know, I think guys, the more engaged a student is in their own game, I think the more excited they can become uh, about wanting to keep that information. You know, a lot of, a lot of them, you know, they'll, maybe jot down how many putts they had on a green and, and some will take it a step further. And, you know, if they hit the fairway, they'll mark that on their scorecard as well. But I think keeping track of those stats and getting them engaged, I think one of the worst things that I see a lot of students do is they'll come to the lesson tee, they'll take a lesson and then you, you don't see them for a week, maybe two weeks in some cases, and they come back and they've done absolutely nothing to prepare for that next lesson. They haven't recorded any. Maybe they've gone out and played a couple of rounds. Some cases they don't even play any golf, uh, and then they wonder why they're not improving. Um, so they're they're looking for that sort of a quick fix or a band-aid solution, as as we've talked about many times on the coaches' corner panel. But the truth of the matter is, the student has to be equally engaged. It's not just a matter of you know standing there and listening to the instructor uh, or coach you know, talking about different things that they need to work on. They have to feel like they're being engaged as well. And the only way that they can do that is really for us to ex- express the importance track of that information because once they start to do that and, and it's like like their pre-shot routine once they start keeping track of that information and doing it on a regular basis it then becomes second nature it becomes another routine that they can get into so every time they go to the golf course uh, even in a practice session if they want to tr- keep track of certain things that they're doing how you know, how many chips they got within so many feet of the cup. Um, you know, if they want to mark off uh, 
you know, different uh, lengths of putts and how many putts they, they made or how many putts they got within a, uh, you know, a, a two foot or three foot circle of when they're lag putting as an example, keeping track of that information and encouraging them to do it in a way that can be fun. And especially if they go with a buddy, they can do things and make some games along the way to make it a little bit interesting. Then it becomes second nature. And I think what ultimately ends up happening is then they can kind of get excited. So when they come to that next uh, practice session or coaching session, if you will, then they can say, hey, you know, I've been keeping track, you know, this last month. And here's some great uh, stats that I've, I've noticed. I'm really excited. My putting's getting better. My chipping's getting better. You know, you can see it. And, and there's some quantifiable results. And I think that you both would probably agree that the more that we educate them doing something like along that lines, the better it's going to have an end result for them. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one thing that's important is, yeah, and, and, you know, when they keep stats like this, there are areas that they're improving on that they may not understand. And this helps them to see that, hey, look how much better you are at chipping and pitching now. Right. Well, and the other thing, too, is by reviewing that with their teaching pro or their coach, now they're able to find out and get the answers as to why. You know, obviously putting is a little bit different. We understand if, if the ball's going in the hole, we know we're, we're doing everything all right. But now we can talk about and refine technique a little bit more. Once we know that they're starting to understand the stroke a little bit better um, and they're starting to see some, some tangible results, now you can kind of fine-tune things. You can fine-tune that game instead, uh, you know, so now as the chipping and the pitching and that starts to come, uh, you know, into fruition uh, and their putting is getting a little bit more more sharp, you know, now things. But when, when the, the numbers are all over the place and the ball's flying here and flying there and they're not really observant as to what's going on during the round, um, then it's, it's hard as a teaching professional or coach to really be able to work with that student. I mean, yes, we can see where the ball goes and we can see ball and make certain adjustments in that. But if we're not playing in that round with them, we don't know how they're putting it all together. We know they can hit some good shots when they're on the practice tee. And yes, we can take them out for a playing lesson. But having them record that information, I think, gives us a wealth of information, but also gets them actively involved. And I think once you get the students involved, uh, and get them proactive is, I guess, the word I'm looking for. Ultimately, being better players down the road, and those scores are going to start to drop much quicker than if they go out to the, uh, you know, local pro shop and spend, you know, a, a ton of money on a new driver or even a new putter. Um, uh, you know, it, it's in my opinion, I think you have to invest time uh, into improving your game. Uh, otherwise, you're just you're just wasting time. Uh, for everybody all the way around. So on that note, guys, um, great discussion. Very interesting tonight. Um, thank you, as always, for uh, for joining me on the Coach's Corner. And I'm going to give each of you, um, this time I'll start with you, Pete, and then John will, will wrap it up, uh, an, an opportunity for the folks listening to the show if they want to reach out and get in touch with you where they can do that. Well, again, thanks, Ted, for having me on. And, John, always a, a pleasure chatting with you in these Coach's Corners. They can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. That's P-L-A-N-E is the plain, plainsimplegolf.com. All my information's out there um, and all the different things that we're doing. And uh, there's some interactive stuff that we're going to be putting out there. So uh, very easy to, to find the contact info and, and uh, just see what's going on in, the, in the, the simple world, as I like to say. 
<laughs> well said. John? Well, thank you again, Ted and Pete. I enjoyed it as always. Um, you can follow me on Facebook at John Decker Golf Instruction. And I spell my name, my first name, J-O-N. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. Um, I'm um, also doing videos with GolfSwing.com. If you go to GolfSwing.com forward slash John Decker, uh, you can watch. I have about almost 300 videos uh, that are up there now. Um, and I've got a podcast that I'm going to be doing with uh, your your next guest, uh, Ted, Dr. Uh, Angelica Napolitano, and uh, we're going to be starting that uh, in the spring, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be in North Carolina speaking on May 1st at the uh, First Baptist Church in Southern Pines, and then on May 2nd at the Benson Mayoral Breakfast, which is going to be at the Benson Baptist Church. Uh, and last thing, my book, uh, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, you can get that on Amazon or Barnes & Noble websites. Well, as always, guys, as always, guys uh, Pete and John, thank you very much for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. It's always a pleasure having both of you on, and I look forward to the next time. So have a great weekend, and um, get out there and, and hopefully play some good golf, or at the very least, get out there and help some others do the same. Um, anyways, till next time, thank you very much, uh, both uh, John and Pete, for joining me tonight on Coach's Corner. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was John Decker and Pete Buchanan. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Peter Agazarian wasn't able to join us tonight. He ran into some technical difficulties, so uh, he'll be on the next uh, uh, next round when he's on, uh, I believe, next month. So, um, But a great discussion tonight from both of the, the panelists, uh, John Decker and Pete Buchanan, and uh, don't forget to uh, to reach out to them as well. As I mentioned at the early part of the uh, broadcast, um, very excited to welcome back GolfSwing.com as a, a sponsor for the Coach's Corner panel. And here's just a short uh, advertising uh, just to let you know a little bit more about them. And uh, you can go to their website when the show's over and uh, and hopefully join their, uh, their great uh, online video academy. Here you go. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? GolfSwing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, GolfSwing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, GolfSwing.com's staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at GolfSwing.com. All right, again, that was uh, our sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel, um, golfswing.com. And if you visit the website at the end of the show, like I said, there's some great uh, uh, great information there, and you can uh, join their online video academy. It's very, very affordable, and see some great instructors like John Decker, who was on the, the Coach's Corner panel tonight, and many, many others. And I will be featuring a video. I'll probably post it up tomorrow on social media um, from one of the uh, other instructors that's uh, on the golfswing.com platform. Uh, definitely a great platform to uh, to get involved with. All right, um, as I mentioned, I've got a very special guest tonight. I'm going to do a, a little bit of an introduction here, and then I will bring her on. I see that she's ready. Uh, my very special guest tonight is Dr. Angelica uh, Napolitano, uh, a.k.a. the, the uh, golf doc. Uh, she's a TPI certified doctor of physical therapy and owner of the Optimal Physical Therapy and Wellness 
her practice uh, is, again, located in Jupiter, one of the most uh, well-established golf communities in the United States. The combination of her skill set as a physical therapist and passion for the game of golf has fostered the quintessential marriage for her expert niche creation in golf rehab and fitness community. As a cash-based physical therapist, Dr. Napolitano offers services that provide the patient with first-class experience delivering quality of care in a convenient, elite, and private manner. She believes in fully uh, investing herself to the patient's needs by creating long-term relationships that promote a mutual understanding of each patient's values, goals, and aspirations. Together, this enables both Dr. Napolitano and her patients to achieve the ideal life-changing transformations that ensure the best quality of life possible. Well, who would not want to love that uh, arrangement right there? So without any further ado, let me welcome my very special guest tonight, Dr. Angelica Napolitano. Good evening, Hi, Angelica. How welcome. Are you? Thanks for I'm having doing me. very how well. Are how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm, I'm, Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me on. I I Can appreciate you hear me it. Good? So yeah, you're you're perfect. You're coming in loud and clear. Thank you. Um so let's talk about first off, before we get into specifics, what, what made you decide to get into this um, career path? What was it about, um, obviously, the physical therapy and, and that side of it, uh, and also to sort of marry it with golf? What was sort of the deciding factor? So there's a lot that kind of goes into um, my decision for physical therapy as a career in general. Um, I have a 16-year-old brother who has cerebral palsy, and he's a quadriplegic. He's in a wheelchair. And being much older than him, I saw his struggles as a young, you know, infant through, you know, childhood and adolescence. And, you know, I was in PT school way before, you know, he was in his teen years. Really, really spoke to me. Uh, seeing somebody that you love go through that and just how much these physical therapists could help him be functional. And that's the key is function. And that, that, right. hit, that hit home for me. I mean, that's my family. Right. Um, and then right. my fam, my, my brother, my dad, my mother were very into um, fitness. We always have been. And I just started a young, a very young age doing sports, uh, working out all these things. And I really liked the body and the, the human anatomy. So it was kind of like a no brainer. Uh, my father's actually a dentist. So I wanted to kind of, see if I wanted to go in that path in life and, and it just wasn't for me. And so I was like, yeah, it's physical therapy. So that's, that's kind of how it led me to PT in general. And then um, the golf kind of came about a year, a year, give or take um, ago when I, I actually graduated three years ago. So I'm a relatively new grad. Um, and I started working immediately for a clinic and uh, became the regional manager after nine months of five, different uh, clinics and facilities within the West Palm Beach area. Um, the structure <laughs> and everything wasn't, you know, the work environment wasn't good for me. I was like, I can't do this. It's unorganized. Right. So I tried to, you know, get it to be a little bit more structured and it just um, upper management wasn't having my back. So I was like, you know what, I'm burning out. And if I don't do something soon, then I'm going to leave the profession altogether. So that's when I took a leap of faith. I started up a side hustle, uh, which is now my practice and my main focus. And 
I invested in a mentor to help me. His name is Greg Todd. He has been the best business mentor. He's also a physical therapist himself, and he just changed my world. And two weeks into starting mentorship with him, I started my practice, and then six weeks later, I quit my full-time job and have just been practicing in my own practice. Um, so it's been actually last March was when I went full-time in my practice, so it's been a year. And, you know, he taught me niche down, niche down, niche down, and I live in Jupiter, Florida. I'm a golfer myself. And I was like, I, golf. <laughs> it just, like, made sense. So I really went after it, and and I, my message is very clear. If you go to my website, you go to my social media, I don't, like, talk about, you know, I talk mainly about golf and, and you know, impairments right. within the body from golf. And so my message is very clear, and it's worked for me. Um, I, I really enjoy it. I love my patients. I love being able to make a difference finally and not having insurance companies control my treatment and control my, right. my patient's ability to recover. So that's kind of how that happened. Well, what's interesting, too, and, and, and I think that's a fantastic um, backstory, and, and that's why I wanted you to share it a little bit because, um, you know, obviously you had a, a personal um, reason for obviously going in that particular route with, with your brother and that, um, and then you obviously, being a golfer, decided that that was an opportunity there as well to sort of marry the two together. And and what's interesting, Angelica, about your story, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is, and and you know this yourself, being somebody that plays golf, most amateurs out there that play the game as really, because it's not a contact sport, it's not like football or soccer uh, Mm -hmm. or even basketball where there's a lot of contact, but yet golfers are still prone to injury, um, whether it be wrist or otherwise. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So let's start off by talking about the importance of injury prevention, what we can do, and obviously more importantly, physical screening, why it's important to get screened. Yeah, so a lot of people don't realize when I tell them, you know, my specialty is golf and golf-related injuries and, and things like that. They're like, you can get hurt from golfing. And I tell them, well, actually, golf, is the number one uh, non-contact sport that has the most injury. So that's pretty big right there. I mean, if you look at the golf swing, it is a quick, you know, coming on that downswing burst of energy, right? So your body has right. to move in a multi-planar fashion and then a quick, powerful, like, bam. It's, it's the same systems are used as sprinting, if you're a sprinter, same systems those short, quick bursts of energy, but you don't have to rotate and all that when you're sprinting. It's just a straight line. You go for it. Golf is very rotational um, and multidimensional. So you can imagine how it's not a natural pattern of movement. And so you have to train and you have to train specifically to your sport or you're going to get hurt eventually. And the repetitive movement and the prolonged stress that the golf swing has on on people really, really, really takes a toll after a while. I mean, you see that in professional golfers. You see that in especially amateurs because amateurs. Yeah, and, and you notice something bit... too. And go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. No, go ahead and finish your thought. Um, so amateurs, they don't really see the value in, um, I guess, a physical therapy type service because they don't think that they're hurting themselves. They haven't had the 
the injury happen yet. And I tell people, don't wait till it's too late. Get screened, prevent injury, because this sport is not, it's, it doesn't mess around. So go ahead um, and say what you're going to say. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, you know, you're, you're exactly right. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. John uh, Decker, I know you know very well, and we'll talk about him and, uh, and that a little bit later on. But because um, I know you guys are working on something together, um, a special project, and we'll let you explain a little bit more detail. He, he kind of let the, the, the uh, um, bug out of the cat can, of the if you will. Uh, cat of the bag, that's what I was looking for. It's been a bad night, so I got the wrong analogy, but you know what I meant. Um, yep. But I'll let you explain a little bit more. Um, but, you know, a lot of people don't realize, just as you pointed out, that, you know, even though golf is not a contact sport, that really there are a lot of energy, uh, injuries that can happen. And I, I want you to talk about, because you, you touched on this a little bit, about let's talk about the mobility uh, patterns and the stability patterns now. Just what, what, what is being engaged in, in a golf swing um, and that could potentially uh, create problems. Right. So there's a pattern within our body. It's an alternating pattern of stable and mobile segments that you need for the game of golf. Um, a stable joint moves in one plane. So, for example, the knee, it just bends and straightens, right? And then you have your mobile joints that move in all the planes, three different planes, okay? So, like the ankle and the hip, for example. So, the alternating pattern goes, do you want me to go through that? Or is that kind of just like, uh, sure. boring? Um, no, no. So it starts from the bottom, By all means. bottom up. Your, your foot's got to be stable. Your ankle needs to be mobile, is mobile. Your pelvis, um, lumbar spine, SI joint is stable. Uh, your thoracic spine, which is the mid back in between the shoulder blades. Uh, that's got to be mobile as we know with the rotation. And then the shoulder blade mm -hmm. scapula is stable the actual shoulder joint itself is mobile, the elbow is stable, and the wrist is mobile. So if you don't have mobility and stability adequately within that uh, pattern, you're going to compensate somewhere along the line, and you're going to take it up into a different joint. I mean, you can even do something in the knee that affects the wrist um, if you don't have that stability there or that mobility in the ankle, and it could affect the wrist or the elbow. It's just crazy the way the body works, but that transfer of energy, you're going to take it up somewhere along the line and you're going to do some kind of faulty swing pattern and compensate time and time and time again because, as you know, repetitive practice, that's what you're doing. Um, you know, whether you're on the driving range or you're playing the game, you're playing 18 holes. It's a repetitive thing that you keep doing over and over again. And most likely, whether you're amateur, recreational, or pro, I mean, you're doing this all the time. Obviously, the pros mm -hmm. way more, but you know, these people don't realize that they're doing these, their movement patterns are altered and that's what really gets them. Um, they don't have, they don't know that they should go to a PT or they're stubborn and they're like, ah, I'm fine. And then they just wait for that boom, that back pain that hits them and they drop to their knees and they're like, Oh my God, now I can't play golf. I can't go to work. I can't sleep. Right. Your whole life is, your whole lifestyle is disturbed. Um, but people don't realize that. People, yeah, yeah we, and we you, see that. You, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. You see yeah, that as an instructor, all the time. Yeah, as an instructor like John and, and Pete that was on, you know, we see this all the time, people coming in, and, and you, you can tell they're kind of favoring, um, you know, one side or the other because they've, they've got a minor injury, and they, they don't really want to, 
you know, they kind of embellish it a little bit and they don't really get into the details of it, but you know, they've hurt themselves or they've done something. So right, you know, as an instructor, you have to be mindful of that. Obviously I'm not a physical therapist, so I don't know, um, you know, what specifically to tell them other than don't do what you're doing. Um, if you're, if you're nursing an injury, go and see somebody that's specialized like yourself. And, and I want to ask you something too, uh, in line to what you're talking about, the stability and, and mobility of uh, patterns of people. Are, thi- are, are there things that can alter those patterns? And if so, what are they? Yes, absolutely. So traumas, whether you've had an accident, um, post- prolonged posture, holding a certain posture for a long time over the span of your life or whatever it may be, and then just repetitive injuries, chronic you know, ankle sprains, chronic strains in your hamstring, things like, like that, for example. And then your thoughts. We know that golf is very mental, the stress anxiety and then what you're putting in your body what you eat what you breathe what you drink everything you consume and then the technique your the skills that you've learned over time that you don't know you're moving weird or abnormally and and the muscle patterns so those are going to alter your pattern and people go throughout their daily life you know day in day out doing these things and they don't have injury yet they don't have pain yet okay but that's why, why do you think so many people have to have knee replacements and hip replacements and things like that? Not saying that those can always be prevented, but there are things that could have in their lifetime helped prolong that surgery or helped, you know, certain things. And you, people just don't realize that. They don't, people, we live in a fast-paced society. Nobody wants to take time out of their day, number one, pay for a service that they don't have pain for. They're like, why am I doing this? Like, I'm just spending money. Money's flying out of my pocket for nothing. Well, it's really not nothing. If you're serious about golf or, you know, you don't want to get injured and you play a lot, you need to think about these things. And I'll tell you, men are very stubborn, um, but women, women are smart. (laughs) They come to me for injury prevention all the time. They're like, I just don't want this to happen to me. I noticed that this is happening because we look at ourselves in the mirror and we're like, oh, our shoulders are slouched forward or I don't look, you know, I see myself in pictures and I, you know, I'm not standing up straight. Men are just like, yeah, whatever. Give me, give me another glass of scotch or what, you know, and just ignore it. (laughs) But these things are going to come into fruition eventually and they're going to get you. And when they get you, it's going to be worse if you let it go for so long. If you let it chronically happen, it's going to take longer, number one, to recover, and it's going to be more painful when it does happen. So, Right, and, and that, those are definitely words of wisdom, and, and you're exactly right in your analogy, between, particularly between men and women, and that's probably why women tend to um, normally live longer than men because they tend to listen yeah. to some good advice from their doctor or uh, or what have you, and men just sort of, yeah, whatever, like you said, and just go for it. Um, now, how can muscular imbalances – now, that's an interesting thing. That these are obviously some points that you, you sent over to me earlier. Talk about that. How does that affect the game? You know, if, uh, you know, is that because of not working out correctly, or is it just favoring, you know, uh, maybe because I'm left-hand dominant as an example or left-side dominant? Um, how does muscular imbalances affect our golf game? And, and also um, – uh, Your swing, yeah. Your body, your swing, everything. So a lot of it has to do at address, okay? That's the first thing we look at when we screen somebody. Um, And there's a thing called lower cross syndrome and upper cross syndrome, okay? So upper cross syndrome happens 
in the upper part of your body, right? So there's a, uh, an imbalance mm-hmm. between tight and shortened muscles and weak and um, inhibited muscles, so muscles that are off. Um, so in the front, as we know, we slouch forward, our head pops out, you know, forward and all that stuff. That's called um, forward head rounded shoulder posture. We have tightness in our, our pec muscles, our chest muscles, right? Our upper trap muscles. Mm-hmm our lap, you know, all those things. And then we have weakness in the front of our, our necks. So think of it like this, our core, right? Everyone thinks of just their abdominals as their core. It's actually your glutes as well. But your neck and your head, the, the front of the neck is the core to your, to your head. Just like your core around your stomach and all that part is like what kind of controls it a lot of times. Uh, same thing in the front of your neck. If, if we have weakness in the front of the neck, our head's going to pop forward. If we have weakness in our core, our back is going to curve, right? It's going to have that S curve, that hyperextension. So same type of thing. So lower cross syndrome, upper cross syndrome just mimic each other. It's a cross between the front and back of the body. Um, and so this really, really hurts our posture. That's the main thing is the posture, right? So when you go to set up and see your, you know, go to address, if you have that S posture, it's really putting a lot of pressure on your lumbar spine, your lower back and your hips and your SI joints. Um, and then if you have that C posture, that, which is at the top, which it looks like a C, you know, coming from the neck into the thoracic spine, you're rounded, kind of like a hunchback. That's that right. uh, upper cross syndrome. So that's really just right there. Right there, you need to stop and say, we need to address this before we go any further. That's a muscular imbalance that, you can, you can change. It's not going to happen overnight, and the patient has to be willing and do their exercises and come in and get their work done. Um, but just right there, that can change the whole dynamic of your game. I know that for myself. I'm not a, I'm not a pro How by can... any means. But I was having some shitty setups, and I, I took lessons. Everybody needs to take lessons, no matter who you are. And that literally changed. That, that changed my whole game. Um, so it's just those types of muscular imbalances need to be addressed off the bat or you're just doing no good. You're adding insult to injury if you don't. Yeah. And, and we see this obviously as golfers age, you know, as they get into their later mm-hmm. years, um, you know, we start to see that. And, and obviously there's been a lot of um, discussion in, in the media and that over the years uh, about um, people working at their desk, you know, long hours every day slumped over a computer screen mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, a laptop or what have you, that it tends to um, create that, that curvature you talk about because they're not really engaging, um, you know, the muscles the way they should be. And they're in that position all the time. And obviously sitting all day long, is not good for you either. Um, and, and I know you said, I know we can't get into it. Um, you said that there's some things that we can do to sort of reverse that a little bit. Obviously aging is going to, uh, eventually catch up with all of us, but there are some things that we can do um, to correct that. And and if it's done properly, and I mean, I know this is a big if because a lot of people don't do things the way they should, but Angelica, if people do things properly um, on your recommendations, on average, how long can they start to see noticeable changes in some of the things you just talked about? If they you know, come 
start out, and I always say frequency in the beginning is key, so meaning like you need to come to me two, three times a week initially um, and do your exercises right. at home that I give you. That, that's about the first one to two weeks, maybe three, depending how involved and complex the patient is. If they're doing their things mm-hmm. at home and all that, you start to go to two a week, one a week. You make the patient self-sufficient. And for me, since I'm one-on-one with my patients, it's very quick. The time that you save by going to someone like me who is a cash-based therapist, um, you start to notice changes in the second week. Uh, I mean, even after our sessions, people are like, I call it the heroin effect because they're so relaxed and they can get and they can move because, you know, I'm working manually hands-on for most of the time because that's skilled things that the patient can't do at home to themselves. So they can finally move their shoulder blade the right way. They can finally get that rhythm between the shoulder joint and and the shoulder blade, the scapula, to move in a fluid pattern that's not altered. And that's very, very important. Everything has to move in conjunction with each other. So once they can do that, once they get that motor control and that postural endurance, and it's not going to happen overnight, but the second, third week, you really start to notice changes. Because I, I'm very, I make it individualized to the patient, to their screening results. Okay, I see a little bit of instability in the shoulder blade um, with this, so I'm going to make this person, you know, do X, Y, and Z. You know, not everybody has the same, you know, issues, obviously, as we know. Um, And and that's what makes their swing unique. Not everybody has the same swing, and not everybody moves the same way. So you really have to look into it and know what you're doing um, and know what to address for that person to get better. And if you can really put all your energy and focus into that for these patients, they will get better. And that's when you start to make a reputation and impact in the community because people start to trust you, and they're like, oh, this girl actually knows what she's talking about. Um, and so that right. didn't come overnight for me, you know, uh, but it, you know, people start to see the changes in their life. They believe, and that's, what's really important is to build that trust and show them, this is why, let me film you, send me your golf swing. This is why, this is why you're doing that. Now here, let's try this. Okay. Now do it again, reassess. And they're always like, wow, how'd you know that? <laughs> Just, <laughs> Well, and, and the other thing too, common sense, not, yeah, yeah, and, and the other thing too is once once they understand, you, you know, once you've explained to them what they've been doing wrong or why this is happening, what they can do to correct it. This is not something. It's not a quick fix thing where okay, well, we're going to just fix it and then that's it for the rest of your life. These are things that they can adapt or adopt, if you will, throughout the remainder of their life. So that to prevent, so it's not just about, you know, um, you know, sort of recovering and and adapting in the moment. This is something that they can help them prevent for future issues as well. And giving them these, these, you know, uh, a skill set, if you will, to help overcome some of these challenges is something that they can carry on, you know, for years and years and years and, and have a better quality of life. And that's obviously what your long-term objective is. Obviously you want to help their golf game, but really you want to help them have a better life. Right. Much more prolonged, and healthy life. Uh, and, and right. Go ahead. Exactly. It's a, it's a lifestyle change when these people come into my clinic and they're talking about, you know, whatever is going on with them. It's, I, I'm like, listen, you know, John, listen, listen, John Doe, listen, Jane. This isn't going to be an overnight magical, uh, you know, instant gratification type fix. And, again, 
our society likes instant gratification. But this is going to be something, and I have right. the expectation right away to work on it. We're going to have to communicate. I'm going to be annoying the shit out of you. Sorry for cussing, but I'm going to be annoying you. I'm going to be holding <laughs> you accountable to to making this change, you know, and that that change in a sense, like that's what that sometimes that's all the person needs. And then the education is the other half of the battle. Like they want to know what's going on and why in their body, why they're moving that way and, and why they got that way. You know, a lot of people will say over and over again, well, how did that happen? And I'm like, look at the, look, look at this picture and look at this picture before and after you were living life like this. You were cutting off oxygen because of the way you held your posture. You know, you weren't getting everything that you necessarily could to nourish your body and create this wellness. Um, and then they get it. They, they're they like, I mean, nobody has ever told me because I didn't have the resources or know who to turn to. And they have horror stories of people they went to in the past, you know, other PTs, chiropractors, acupuncturists. Um, this person, you know, did, you know, couldn't help me, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's another part of why people don't opt for help because they have had these issues in the past with other treatments. Um, providers that have not done anything for them. So they're like, I'm not going to waste my time and money on that. People out there like myself who know this is this can change the game, literally. Um, you just have to find the right person. And you have to find a person that niches and specializes in what you want. If a runner, you know, I still treat runners, tennis players, and all that as well. Um, but my thing is golf. But I still can make them better. I'm, I'm sports. You know what I mean? Uh, but it just happens that my niche is golf. And I just know the ins and outs of what needs to be done for the golfer. You know, I might have to research the runner a little bit. And I might say, hey, uh, I'm going to refer you to my friend down the street. She deals with, a lot with runners, and I think she'd be better for you. And that's okay because they're going to appreciate that. Right. Then just saying, oh, right. let's just guess and, and try to make you better. And then they're spending this money, and you suck. <laughs> So I tell people look right. for and, that person that specializes in your 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 hobby. Right, and I want to point yeah I want to point something out too that I I, I um, sort of glossed over in the very beginning when I was telling uh, the listeners a little bit about your background and that is you believe in a much more uh, holistic approach um, mm-hmm. as opposed to what. Um, you know, a lot of others did. In other words, you're not relying on a lot of medications and or surgery. Now, obviously, there may be situations that may be extreme that surgery might be required. And obviously, you're going to advise them as best you can in that particular case. But one of the problems in today's society, everybody's looking for, well, I'm a little bit sore. Can you give me a pill? Or, you know, this is hurting and that, you know, what kind of surgery do I need? And this is sort of the go-to with a lot of industries right now. And the truth of the matter is sometimes just some simple exercise or change in motion can actually offer much better relief than going to some of those other alternatives. And I like that about your practice is because I think there's too much medication and surgery out there right now in a lot of areas, not just in your uh, particular field, but in the medical field in, in general. And I think that this is what's obviously hurting a lot of people. And that's obviously for another program, another story. But I just wanted to point that out because I think that's very important for the listeners to understand that what you're really saying is that there are things that you can do yourself with my help and guidance that will improve um, your golf game, 
but also improve your life in general without having to, you know, get on another medication or go and have another surgery. And again, there might be certain circumstances or isolated conditions that may result in that, but that's not what you're really talking about here. You're trying to offer other solutions and benefits uh, without having to go that route all the time. And and I like that about uh, your practice. Um, So let's talk about, since we are talking about golf, let's talk about some of the keys to consistency and accuracy. Oh, doesn't everybody want to know the key to consistency <laughs> and accuracy? If I can hit that ball straight on every time, you know, be consistent and not splice or, you know, um, and, and this is not always guaranteed, um, but right. it's good kinematic of the Honda classic was a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I right. didn't, promote my business or anything, but I did go into the bear trap. Um, for those of you that don't know what the bear trap is, it's just the hot spot of the Honda Classic, uh, wherever right. it's parties or whatever. So I went in there and I did golf trivia. And I asked, one of the questions was, uh, what do you lead with uh, the transition during the downswing? Like, what's the first thing you lead with? Um, and that starts the kinematic sequencing on the downswing, and that is a key to consistency and accuracy, is having that sequence perfected and, uh, you know, just you just carry it out the right way. Um, so do you know I'm sure you know what that is. Yeah, go ahead. You know. Share the consistency. Okay, so, yeah, go ahead. So it's, you gotta, you got to lead with the pelvis on the downswing, uh, then your thorax, your thoracic spine, your arm, and then the club. And then we always know that it, golf, just like most sports, is the transfer of energy from the ground up, right? Um, mm-hmm. And when you're not leading with the pelvis first or you're, you're kind of out of – that's when our, our movement start, starts to get compensated and altered and things are – that transfer of energy is taken up in a negative way, and that affects our entire body, our fascia, our muscles, our bones, uh, our joints, everything like that just – over time, again, it's a prolonged, repetitive sequence that you do time and time again over the span of your life. And if you're doing it wrong, you're not going to hit that ball straight on, and you're not you're not going to be accurate. You're not going to have consistency and accuracy. So, and that's a very trained thing um, because a lot of people, number one, don't know this, and number two, aren't doing it. So. That's, again, why we look at your swing. We film it, and we draw weird little lines everywhere and have you do all these weird physical tests, you know, um, to check why you're not having that consistency and accuracy. And then we make that plan specific to your issue to make sure that we can build that for you and get that, that downswing transition and that sequence on the right, um, the right path, the right, the right way to move. Um, again, the golf swing's on a natural movement. But it's the game. So you got to, if you're serious about it and you don't want to get hurt or you want to prevent further injury, you have to be able to get that sequencing down, uh, sequencing down for that injury prevention and for that consistency and accuracy when, when striking the ball. Um, does that make sense? No, that's perfect sense. And, you know, one thing I just want to add, you know, to the so the listeners fully understand some of the things that you've talked about up to this point, um, whether it be not just injuries but posture and things like that, can alter or affect the accuracy and mm-hmm. consistency of your golf swing. And this is what people don't understand. It's not just 
you know, people always think it's, well, I just don't know how to, you know, everybody naturally has an ability to swing uh, a golf club. It's actually a very natural movement. Um, and with a little bit of training and, and understanding of how it works, anybody can get up and, and hit a golf ball and hit it quite well. The problem is a lot of times we get in our own way. And uh, again, it's not understanding the proper sequence. And that's why you see sometimes people will kind of rush the, the club down from the top and their arms and their hands are coming down real quick and their hips haven't even moved yet. And it's because that sequencing has, has gotten out of sequence. Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of showing them what the sequence and helping them to understand that. In. But then there's other cases where it might be um, their body is physically preventing them from doing that. It could be an old hip injury. It could be um, you know, a muscle imbalance, whatever the case may be. And this is why coming to somebody like yourself is, is critical to get a proper screen so that you can show them some of the things that are going on and help them come up with solutions to overcome and change that, correct? Correct. It's really a team approach. Uh, you got to have the instructor, you got to have the PC, and you got to have the, you know, golf, um, the fitness professional. When you have that team, and not everybody can afford or has the time to have a team like that around them. Sure. If you're training people, if, you, if you're helping people, you need to know that that is key in creating a good um, functional swing that is going to not hurt you or, you know, kind of prevent less injury or pain down the line because I don't know everything that you or, you know, John Decker might know. I, I don't. I, I can look at a golf swing and be like, that looks some, like some weird shit to me. Um, but <laughs> he's going to take the swing, analyze it differently than I would. I'm analyzing it from a physical standpoint. And a lot of times, most right. times, it's because there's physically something blocking them, whether it's their nervous system, that's huge. The nervous system, if it doesn't right. integrate into what you're doing neuromuscularly, that's not a word, but it sounded good, then you're, you're not <laughs> going to get that motor control and get that pattern down. It's just not going to stick. It's not. So integration of the nervous system, a, a, golf, a coach can't do that. They don't know what or why, you know. But I also can't teach you how to, like swing for the, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a pro. I'm not a, a teaching professional, right? but I can look at your body and that's the point of the screen and go, okay, so you can't do this because of this, this, and this. And John saw this. So we put the two together and we're like, wow, okay, now this makes sense. Um, but you are, you know, as TPI certified, you are trained to look at the swing and go, okay. And, and kind of relate it uh, physically and all that stuff to why it's happening. But again, if, if it was me, you know, in my practice, I always, always refer to a, um, a pro to be like, Hey, what do you think of this? Or they come to me, what do you think of this? And you got to put both of your um, expertise together and come up with why it's happening. Cause I might not be able to help them. I might be like, Hey, he's just like, you know, doing this weird thing. I don't know why, but it not, has nothing to do. He did this test and it was fine. So you know, that's on you or like, you know, obviously I wouldn't write them for that. I'd be like, you know, this could be something you could brainstorm together, come up with a, a solution. But um, right. it, most of the time your, your brain, it's that mind body connection. And a lot of times you're being blocked and it has to, you have to break through that. You have to break through to get, reach your physical uh, goal because we are blocked by our mind a lot, as you know, and, and golf is mentally mm -hmm. tough. 
people hold themselves back, not only in their mind, but that affects them physically as well, hugely, hugely. That stress and that, that first that first tea jitters or whatever you were saying earlier affects them, and they'll think too much, and they can't have that, you know, pre-swing, you know, thing that they do, routine. If it takes too long, like John was saying, <clears throat> you're already in your head. You're done. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that probably happens to all of us, so. Um, yeah. So just working, I mean, even a mental coach, getting that person in there and helping, is you need it all. Well, and, and Angelica, the other thing, too, that I think, you know, we talked about earlier on the panel discussion tonight, you know, about going out and spending all this money on a, you know, a fancy driver that's, you know, going to cost three, four hundred dollars. That's, you know, hopefully going to get them a little further down the fairway. And the truth of the matter is, I mean, I've been around the golf business, you know, John and, and Pete that was on earlier, uh, you know, for a good number of years. And I know that that's just not true. Uh, obviously, at the professional mm-hmm. level. Uh, and, and people that are very proficient in the golf swing, uh, they can take that new modern technology and, and get the most out of it. But for most of our high handicap amateurs out there, for them to spend that three $400 on a new, you know, on this fancy driver that's guaranteeing them an extra 20 or 30 yards, I would much rather them uh, spend that money on some good quality golf lessons. But I would also think, and, and I want to ask you this question here, um, especially for new golfers getting in, this is a good opportunity for golfers that have never stepped on the first tee or stepped on the practice tee, if you will, to go and have a screen done by somebody, a professional like yourself, to, to find out if there are going to be any issues, physical issues that need to be addressed before they actually even start beginning their lessons uh, with somebody like John or myself or, or, or somebody else out in the profession. Because if they're dealing with old injuries or if they're dealing with uh, muscle inadequacies or uh, inadequacies or imbalances, if you will, uh, right from the get-go, then they're not going to be able to transition that golf swing properly. So the, the earlier that we can address some of these issues, the better their experience is going to be because there's no point in them going to the lesson tee and taking you know half a dozen lessons from a, their local professional uh, if there's physical issues that are, are, are hampering their ability to execute the golf swing correctly. So I would much rather see that. And I, I think, would you agree that that would probably be a, be a smart idea for them to go and have a uh, and, and look at some of those issues and address issues if they need be before they actually go out and really get into the golf game? Yeah. Early intervention is key, um, obviously, to per- really, right. number one, prevent you from having this weird movement pattern during your swing that you learned over time for so long that you can't change now. Or it's very hard to change. Once you have a, a swing pattern down, you know how hard that is to change. Um, sure. I've had patients that are, you know, you know, some on some tours, not, you know, the pro, not the PGA tour, but, you know, like some Symmetra and, and all that. And they're trying to relearn a different swing pattern. And it is just difficult. You, Your body, again, that's nervous system. Your body is trained over and over and over again to do this one pattern. And you're trying to retrain, re-educate your muscles to do a certain thing, to hold it, to have the strength, the power, the consistency, all of that. Again, you're literally starting from scratch. So early intervention, yes, is key. The problem is people, that's that's the ideal world. I would love for that to happen for all golfers, for everybody. But the thing is they don't do that because they either don't know or they just don't care and they're just going to go into it and do what they want to do or take the lessons from the 
the pro at the their local, you know, clubhouse or whatever, and, and just that person also might not know that what they're doing is physically a challenge because of an old injury or because of an imbalance. They're, they're trained um, to see things, but some are better than others, as we know, and, and some won't refer out. They'll just get, okay, let's try it this way. Well, how about why can't you do this? And that's really when they need to go, hmm, I can't fix this. Who can? And all of these pros need to be trained to, do, to refer out. And same with me and PTs. Refer to your, you know, local coaches in the area to help these people with their swing, to help these people not hurt themselves. Because once you do, you can't, like I said, you, you're, you're out of work. You can't golf. You can't do the things you love. And then what happens? Now we're getting mental and we're going to get depressed. We're going to, you know, do maybe we're going to resort to that, uh, that painkiller because we just want to go to sleep or that muscle relaxer and then we get addicted, you know, and it just is a downward spiral um, in a lot of people, if you will, because that's just the way the world works. We're so easily um, have access to these drugs and we so easily just ignore things that are clear indicator of, hey, this isn't right. My back has a sharp pain when I do the swing over and over again. And it's been getting worse, but I'm going to ignore that. And when I tell somebody, they just are like, ah, well, let's try a different way. You know, you have to look at those things and go, that's not right. You know, and then, like I said, in an ideal world, the person that's just going to start out golfing comes to, you know, get a physical screen. That'd be amazing. Um, But that doesn't happen. That rarely happens. And where it needs to start is childhood because that's, the serious golfers, right. that's when they start. So they need to really have people that are well-trained, that can identify these things, that work as a team to help these children grow into good golfers if they're really serious about taking on that career path or getting into a college with a scholarship or whatever it may be. Um, even if they just love the sport and want to golf, you know, recreationally for their lives. You know, you have to start it then, and that's mm. – I think there's a lot of uh, junior, um, you know, golf professionals and medical professionals, but it really needs to be, um, that needs to be key in in a golfer's training and in a golfer's life, Um, starting it in childhood, starting it from the very beginning. Because how often do people, I I do have patients that pick up a club when they're in their 50s and they're like, hey, I'm retired and rich and now I want to golf. Okay. Well, (laughs) <laughs> they don't know that they should be. They don't know that they should be screened. So it's it's hard to spread that awareness. Right. I'm just I'm I'm just telling you like it is. We know that's the truth, right? Um, not always, but they don't know yeah. that there's resources out there, and there's there's they're gonna get hurt. So um, that. But like I said, well, that's and, not and realistic. Is, yeah. Well, here you know here's something too, and and. You know, this is something we've we've talked about on my program in the past, and uh, certainly we'll we'll bring it up again. But you know, I, I look at an opportunity in our industry, and I'm talking about the golf industry, to really and and I know there are a lot of pros that that partner um, with professionals like yourself that that take advantage of that. You know, for their collegiate players and and you know uh, tour players that they work with. Um, but for the everyday average recreational golfer out there, there really isn't that that sort of partnership. And again, it can be very, very inexpensive. I mean, I think people, you know, when they hear, um, you know, 
trainers or, or physical therapists and things like that. They think, well, I don't need that. You know, I'm not, I'm not really an overly athletic person or I'm not, you know, I'm not playing competitively. I just want to go out and have fun. But I think as teaching professionals, I think this is something that we have to start adding to our vocabulary when we're working with students mm-hmm. and encouraging them. And I think it's good for a lot of local professionals like myself and others to reach out to individuals like yourself within our communities and say, look, you know, I've got this, you know, uh, great teaching profession. You've got a physical therapy profession here. There may be some opportunities that we can work together with one another and sort of, you know, cross pollinate, if you will, in professions. And I think Mm -hmm. that over time, you'll start to see a change where people will say, and again, that doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to have an entourage. Every, every amateur is going to have an entourage of people around them. But I think that if they get educated right from the get-go, um, even when they get in their 50s, you know, if they want to take golf, a lot of women are getting into golf now. Women executives are getting into golf. Um, and, you know, they may need to have that screening done or other things done in order to help them adapt their golf swing to fit their game just right. And, but they don't have that information. Uh, available. So this is something that I think the teaching professionals can initiate that conversation and then bring in to carry it on, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's kind of uh, the basis for TPI, and it should be the basis for all clubs and all people. You know, if if someone's coming in to get a, uh, a lesson from you, you should write then and there be willing to refer out if need be. And a lot of people see it as a threat because they say, oh, they're going to take my client. No. Number one, we don't do the same thing. I can't tell them and educate them on the same things that you could and vice versa. So that's not taking the client. That's looking out for their best interest. And trust me, they're going to respect and and trust you and, and appreciate what you've done for them by doing that. Uh, I'm not going to tell someone and lie to somebody if they ask me a question and I don't know it or if there's something wrong and I don't know it, but I'm just guessing. I'm not going to do that to somebody because, number one, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody, and I want what's best for my clients and patients, and I know that sure. is to refer out when I don't know the answer. And that is the problem is the threat of the money and the financial situation of them being taken from you. It happens with fitness, right. instruction, medical Yep. And that's not how we should be viewing it because it's very negative and that's only hurting our patients and our and our reputation, essentially. So Right. Yeah. Right. No, I, 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 I agree wholeheartedly. So let's talk. We got a, a, a if little. If I could, I would. Right. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> well, everything everything starts, you know, with with sort of planting that seed and then it's a matter of, of it growing and growing and growing and, and hopefully we can we can start doing that. Um, so tell me about, John, sort of let the cat out of the bag, as I said, about uh, a podcast that you guys are going to uh, start doing. I think he mentioned hopefully uh, beginning in April. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so John and I are going to be uh, releasing a podcast this spring. And he's obviously a coach and instructor, and I'm a physical therapist. So we have the uh, medical and the instruction side of things. We can tie in fitness together, but having a fitness, you know, we might just spotlight fitness professionals on it or whatever. Um, But it's going to be called the Swing Doctors Golf Fitness and Performance Podcast. So, yeah, so it will be coming out this spring. Um, April is 
target month. Uh, we're both very busy within our professions, so um, we're working on that now, but we'll have a definite date soon. And that's just going to be us just talking about, you know, golf fitness and performance and having guests on and, you know, just spotlighting different people in the profession. Um, because, again, awareness, we're creating awareness, and that's what's important um, to really have people educated and know their resources and know what's going on um, with their sport and their hobby and how to really create an overall wellness and holistic approach and view to their game. Uh, and that's really what we are trying to do, that holistic approach, that wellness approach um, through our podcast. So it'll be coming soon, and it's going to be exciting. It's going to be awesome. I love John. He's great. I uh, found him on social media, actually, and I saw his videos from golfing.com. He's a great he's a great instructor and I reached out to him and I said, Hey, I love your videos. Um, and just like introduced myself that way. And then we, you know, started talking online. We got on a couple phone calls here and there, texting, just throwing out ideas to each other or, you know, Hey, this is going on. What do you think of this? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and got each other kind of like excited, you know, and then the PGA show came to Orlando in January and I live in Jupiter but I was actually on my way back uh, from St. Augustine at that time, which was perfect. So I stopped in Orlando and met up with John um, at a golf course out there. And he gave me a lesson and we had lunch and all this stuff. He signed his book for me. So I have a copy of his book and mm-hmm. we just were like, yeah, we, I mean, we knew that we were friends and had like a cool relationship. And then that just kind of confirmed it when we met and, He's a great guy, and I'm really excited to uh, start this venture with him and and just see what comes of it because I think we can we can really make this something good for our audience. Well, and and I, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I've had John on the show the last several years, um, both as a guest but also on the Coach's Corner panel, and uh, he definitely brings some great ideas for the instruction side of things. And obviously, you have uh, a lot of great ideas and a lot of passion on the um, physical side and the wellness side of, as well. So I can definitely see it being a very successful um, venture for the two of you. And I look forward to hearing um, when it comes available. So please, um, both either you and John or together, you can let me know when it's launched, and I'll be more than happy um, to plug it on my show Um you know when it when it's getting ready to to launch to let the the listeners know to uh, to tune into that podcast as well. So, um, well, yeah, uh, Angelica, I've I've been, yeah I've enjoyed having you on tonight. Um, I appreciate your insight from a different perspective into the game, um, and and hopefully people get a little bit better understanding. So now that they've got a little bit of taste of what you do and the importance of the role you play in helping golfers uh, play their best out there what's the best way for them to reach out to you, whether it be through social media or whatever, where can they go if they want to connect with you and maybe uh, get some more information from you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on um, Instagram. Uh, my social media handle is at optimal PT and wellness. So you can find me there. Um, I'm on Facebook, same um social media handle my business page is optimal pt and wellness and then i have an actual uh facebook group 
that is uh, is awesome. If you if anyone listening wants to join it, please do so. I would love to have you in there, engaging, asking questions, just how you can better yourself um, in the game and your wellness, uh, all related to golf. Uh, it's called the Golf Stock Pain Elimination and Injury Prevention Support Group. So if you want to join that, please feel free. I would love, like I said, to have you in there. Um, and then you, my name is Angelica Napolitano, so just look me up on Facebook, too, in that way, and, and you can find <laughs> me there. But, yeah, message me anytime. You can find me on YouTube as well at Optimal Physical Therapy and Wellness. Um, but, yeah, message me. I, I get right back to you. Um, and, again, my website, OptimalPTandWellness.com, you can find all my contact info on there as well and, and some cool videos and just little blurbs about me and, and things like that. So, And my blogs. I have a lot of good blog posts there. So <laughs> that's how you can find me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's one thing about social media, and I uh, am also obviously on social media, a lot of different platforms as well. It's a great way to communicate and get a message out there. Well, Angelica, I look forward again to um, having, uh, you know, hearing more about your your podcast and that. I look forward to listening to uh, it as it comes due. So please, by all means, reach out to me and and I'll give the same message to John as well to let me know when it is officially going to be launched when you have your first uh, uh, episode. And I'll be more than happy to plug it through all of my social media networks as well, uh, just to give it that little bit of extra boost. So um, but I appreciate you coming on tonight and spending some time with me on, here on Golf Talk Live. It's been a very interesting discussion. I've enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to take away a few things as I start to age in that uh, category as well. I just <laughs> celebrated a birthday about a week ago, so, uh, you know, oh, age is creeping birthday. up on me. And uh, Thank you. And uh, so, you know, I have to uh, be mindful of, of uh, you know, my physical being, if you will, if I want to continue to be able to do what I do. But uh, but thank you for coming on and sharing, and I, and I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed myself, and uh, have a good night, and happy belated birthday. All right, you too. Thank you very much, Angelica. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, Dr. Angelica Napolitano, uh, a.k.a. The Golf Doc. Uh, you can find her at uh, Optimal Physical Therapy and Wellness in Jupiter, Florida, is where she hails from, but you can find her all over social media, as she said, so you can just check out some of those avenues there and learn a little bit more uh, about what it is that she does. It's definitely a very integral part uh, of uh, becoming a better golfer. It's not just about how well you swing the club, but how you swing the club um, is really what it's all about. So uh, some great information there. And uh, again, I want to thank all of the uh, listeners for faithfully tuning in. And I particularly want to thank John Decker and Pete Buchanan uh, for joining me this, earlier this evening on the Coach's Corner panel. On that note, uh, I will see all of you or you all hear me next Tuesday uh, on the Women of Golf show, my other uh, broadcast on Tuesday mornings with my good friend, LPGA professional Cindy Miller. Uh, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network. That'll be the next show. And then, of course, next Thursday, I'll be right back here uh, on my own uh, for another great uh, Coach's Corner panel followed by another insightful interview. So thank you, everybody, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live, and I will see you next week.
Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. Or listen on any of the following social media platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.